0: We're going today to the book of Mark, the book of Mark, chapter 3. Again, to all of our guests that are here, we welcome you and honor you and thank the Lord for you. So very glad that you would be with us in the house of God. On such a cold uh, winter day, I'm very thankful for your faithfulness to the house of the Lord. God's going to do great things uh, through you this year. I believe that. And I'll tell you why I believe that. Because as a whole, we carried some momentum uh, into the new year. We really did. God has been with us, and we've carried some great momentum into the new year. But you do not have momentum without resistance. And uh, I, know, I know some things about some of you that everybody else isn't necessarily praying with you about because uh, it's in your private life and things going on in your world. And I want to tell you that the enemy has given you his best shot. And you're still standing. And that's how I know God's going to do great things through you this year. Amen. Look, I, I know that when you're facing a mountain, it's very real. It feels very real. But I am so thankful for this church family and for the way that you hold one another up and for the way that you lift one another up. Look, anybody, anybody can be a parking lot prophet. Anybody can be an armchair quarterback. It's, it's easy to sit back and be critical or, or, or whatever you you know you don't like in somebody else or what you see in somebody else. But I am thankful for the spirit of unity that's in this church and for your, your willingness to care for one another. Amen. I have watched over the last several days, as, as some of you have given out of your personal finances to be a blessing to others. I have watched some of you give over the last few days when you didn't have uh, extra for yourself. You were willing to give. And I appreciate this church carrying one another's burdens and so fulfilling the law of Christ. And I don't know if it means anything to you or not, but from the heart of your pastor and, and, and sister TJ today, we love you and we thank you for your heart for people. I thank you for your love for the lost, and you never cease to amaze me. I love you very much. Amen. Mark chapter 3. Jesus has been healing and uh, very, very powerful. The miracles of Christ, of course, they go without saying. Just incredible. But now Jesus has ordained his 12 at about the 13th verse, and uh, he, is, he is anointing them to preach and to have power over sickness and to cast out devils. And then, in verse 20, it said the multitude came together again so that they could not so much as eat bread. That's when you know the table is full, folks. You can't even reach and get any bread. And when his friends heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said, he is beside himself. Now watch this. The scribes which came down from Jerusalem said, how much sense does this make? He hath Beelzebub, and by the prince of devils casteth he out devils. I want you to think about the logic of that. This guy is beating the devil up because he has the power of the devil working in him. Think about that now. He's casting out the devil by the devil. He called unto them. And he said unto them in parables, and this is one of those times where I really wish I could have seen Jesus in action. He, he kind of has this little streak that runs through him, you know, that I would have I liked to have seen. And he asked this question, how can Satan cast out Satan? And then he begins to speak one of the most powerful principles, in my opinion, That he taught on the earth. He said if a kingdom be divided against itself. That kingdom cannot stand. And if a house be divided against itself. That house cannot stand. He goes broad with the kingdom. And then he brings it down to the house. He says if it's a broad thing. The kingdom divided cannot stand. And your house cannot stand if it is divided among itself, against itself. And if Satan rise up against himself and be divided, he cannot stand but hath an end. I want to talk to you today about a house divided. A house divided. You may be seated in Jesus' name. Jesus is by far the most dynamic figure to have walked onto the scene of history at this season in his life. Jesus is perhaps the most recognizable face everywhere that he goes. He was the kind of man that you would see His picture in the post office, you'd see his picture hanging up on the telephone poles because everywhere he went, he was doing something that just caused people to think, what in the world is going on? It wasn't like Jesus did this thing quietly and in a corner, but it was more like everywhere he went, he knew that he was on a mission And it did not matter who was against him or what they said about him or how they felt about what he was doing. He was not there to please them. He was there to do the will of his father. He was there to be certain as a man that the will of God was accomplished. Why is that important? Why Was it important to us that God would robe Himself in flesh, become a man, and dwell among us, and try to show us submission? Why would God submit Himself to His own spirit? The reason is because He wanted to show us that as a man, you can be tempted in every manner, but you can walk out of that temptation and be sinless. I tell you today that Jesus did not do miracles, signs, and wonders without resistance. He did not heal the sick, open blinded eyes, and raise the dead without a persistent resistance against everything that he did. But Jesus healed the sick, caused the lame to walk, the blind to see, and the dead to rise in spite of the resistance. Some of us are saying that if God would take the resistance from us, we would do something incredible for God. But Jesus showed us that we can have revival in spite of the resistance. I've come to tell somebody today that's waiting for the resistance to cease in your life, So that you can have a breakthrough and a move of God. Don't be waiting for the resistance to leave you. Go ahead and have revival in the midst of that resistance. Don't wait till the battle's over to get your shout. Don't wait till the battle's over to lift your voice. Don't wait until the enemy has been defeated. I've come to tell you on the contrary. It may be your praise that defeats the resistance. It may be your persistence in the fact that you refuse to quit that causes the enemy to lie down. Man, if we could ever, ever, ever get church trouble to quit, we'd have revival. Well, folks, listen. I want to tell you something. We don't, we don't dwell on it. We don't talk about it. And this is a great church. Don't get me wrong. I'm talking about this is an amazing church. When it comes week to week, this is a phenomenal church. But I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, hurt anybody's picture. I don't, want to, I don't want to be the rain on your parade. But you listen to me when I tell you that wherever there's several hundred human beings that gather together, there's always going to be problems. It just happens. It happens at every factory in America it, it, it hey I, it, it doesn't matter to me man i've I, I've worked on small crews of three, four or five guys. You can't even frame a house without somebody getting mad. You, you understand what I'm saying like there's always there's always going to be resistance. So if we're waiting for resistance to stop to have revival. We better put a padlock on the doors, man. If I could ever get this pressure off of me, I'd pray. Then pray till the pressure gets off of you. I, I know. I, I mean, I've had these conversations with folks. I really been feeling like I need to go on a fast, pastor. But man, when I fast, I get hungry. <laughs> man, I tried to fast the other day, and I just couldn't. Man, I got a, I got a headache. Well, it'll get you every time. It'll get you. You understand what I'm saying? Like, you are you're absolutely not going to fast without resistance. So what do you do? You just fast. Well, I get the shakes. Well, then go get you a drink of grape juice. Kick the devil in the teeth and tell him, you're not going to take my victory from me. Come on, I feel like preaching here for a minute this morning. You know, if we were just really extremely honest, and we're, we're going to do this for just a minute, we're going to get really transparent right here. We probably, as the Church of the Living God, talk more about victory than any group in the world, other than North Korea. You'll get that in a few minutes. I noticed one of their high generals the other day literally had he had uh, pins hanging down to his belly button. I thought, man, that's interesting. They've never even fought a war. How'd he get all that? I, I don't know. I got some ideas, but uh, we talk about victory all the time. That God is a god of victory, and victory is mine, and victory is mine. We go on and on about victory, and then we get in a fight, and we stop talking about victory. We stop praying. We stop fasting, and we're like, if that's the way it's going to be, I'm not fighting. Well, I used to play football with some sissies. That when they didn't like the way you hit them, they'd take their football and go home. Well, you big wuss. I'll go buy my own football. You understand what I'm saying? You can't can't take your bat and go home every time somebody else hits a home run. You have no clue. We had World Series out here, didn't we? We had the Anderson Home Run Derby Tennis Ball Challenge World Series right out here. All the neighborhood kids came. And we, boy, well, we we were we were awesome, we were amazing. We had Pete Rose out there and Chris Sabo and uh, Cal Ripken. We had them all out there. There's like three people in here that even know who I'm talking about right now. And these guys, man, you you know, if you start putting a whooping on them, they they'd take their bat and go home. And so I figured out how to beat that system. I bought a bat. Because there is a way to let the enemy bring whatever he's going to bring at you. And then you just surprise him and you just keep on doing the right thing. See, because some of you are still trying to figure out why God hadn't blessed you with a new car. And then there's others of you that you're thankful today that even though you had to jump start your car... That you had a car and you made it to the house of the Lord. Because we're not going to get caught up on what we don't have. Or what we're going through. Or what the enemy has been trying to do to us. We're going to have victory in spite of resistance. We're going to have victory in spite of resistance. Uh, Nothing worth having is ever going to come without resistance. I know some of you are our, our Instagram married people. But I'm more like a reality married people. These people crack me up on Instagram like their marriage is this picture perfect, incredible. And they'll, they'll post pictures of curly hair and all done up and made up and they're like woke up like this. I'm like, you're a liar. You didn't wake up like that. My goodness gracious, you ain't been to bed yet. We know you've been partying all night. You look like it. And, and and they got this false world. It's this false reality. And if it's done anything to us in reality, it has made us believe that our reality is some kind of shallow something because theirs is so much better than ours. You listen to your pastor when I tell you it is a lie from the enemy for you, t- for you to believe today. That your marriage is the worst that there has ever been and that there's no way for it. Listen, I don't care what this fake world says. It's not reality. It is, it is absolutely a fantasy world. They didn't just wake up one morning and start making a million dollars a year. No, they got out and hit the grind every single day until something happens. You hear this preacher. Don't let the enemy sell you a fantasy lie and tell you that that is what reality is. No, it's not. The reality is that every day of your life, you're going to have to face reality and go through the grind and go to work and invest in your family, invest in your children, invest in your wife, invest in your job And if we want to have an amazing church, we're going to have to invest in the church, invest in the kingdom, invest in people. When it costs us money, when it costs us time, when we don't want to go have coffee, we're going to have to go have coffee. I mean, not that there's ever a bad time to go have coffee. I found out a long time ago that soul winning is expensive. Because you got to get down where people are living. There, there's this idea that I guess church growth is going to happen. That when they come up out of the water of, of baptism, man, they just, you know, we, we like throw them off in the deep end of the pool and say, okay, God teach them everything they need to know. Nope. It don't happen that way. You gotta love people, man. You gotta be where they're at. You gotta you gotta be in their world. You gotta you gotta cry with them when they cry and laugh with them when they laugh and and, and be with them. There there is no such thing as easy growth. There's no such thing as easy um, easy soul winning. You got to love people and be something in their life and be something around them. Well, but pastor, I just I don't have time for that. Then be honest and say I don't have time for that and tell him that. Well, I talked to old Goofy the other day, man, at Walmart, and every time I see them, they take up my time. Why do you think the Lord keeps letting you cross paths with them? Yeah, but I get so, I mean, I get so tired of hearing all the bad stuff they're going through. Have you offered them a solution? <laughs> well, I'd tell them the church, but they're mad at so-and-so in the church. Well, good. Tell them they're going to be lost over a human being. You need to tell those people. I had never quite got as bold as my grandfather. But one of the greatest stories he used to tell all the time was about this fellow he saw. And he told my granddad the short version of the story was that he wasn't going to come to this church because there was a bunch of hypocrites. So Brother Bingham just told him, well, one more won't hurt. Come on. You're welcome It's amazing what people will let keep them from greatness It's amazing what people will let keep them from breakthrough I'm not saying that discouragement is not real But I am saying there's a reason why the Holy Scripture said that mighty men had to encourage themselves in the Lord. What do you think it means when an apostle who has won every kind of fight that that you can imagine says, I think myself happy. That means if you think yourself happy, you can think yourself unhappy. And there are some people that the reason they're unhappy is not really because they're not blessed, it's because that's all they think about. If I had a better house, a better car, a better wife, a better job, whatever. Hey, you know what? I decided I'm going to do. I'm going to be a better me. I'm going to be a better me. I'm going to invest in myself and be a better me. I want to be the best that I can be at everything I do. Not because I won't face resistance, but because I plan on winning. And I didn't start this thing to just stop in the middle of the race. I'm going to cross the finish line. I plan on walking across that old chilly Jordan River. I plan on standing at a pearly gate and hearing him say, enter in. I plan on walking to the throne of Almighty God. Hearing him bless me, I plan on dancing on a street of gold. I plan on living in a mansion. So if you don't want to go, that's all right. But I'm going. Well, man, if you people, if that church would just let let up a little bit and. We could really build a church man And Jesus fixes this question He said how in the world are you going to cast out the devil with the devil I don't know if you've ever thought about that Reading this passage or not He said how are you going to cast out the devil with the devil How are we going to let people come to the house of God Live like the devil And then tell them you overcame the devil God don't mind if you drink. Just go get you some. (laughs) Just enjoy that. Yeah, good luck praying for an alcoholic. Listen, I'm going to break this down real simple for you right here, okay? You cannot cast out what you embrace. You can't live on a constant diet of witchcraft and sorcery and adultery and fornication and then come to church and come up to these altars and lay hands on people and say, Lord, I command that spirit of witchcraft to to leave them alone. Sorry, but you don't have any authority. You're just like those seven sons of the priest that came walking in and the devil just looked at him and said, I know who Jesus is, I know who Paul is, and I have no clue who you are. What do you think you're doing in here? Do you know what we need? We need some people that will absolutely bow up on the ways of this world and say, I'm not like the world, not because that's what my church teaches. I'm not like the world because I don't want to be like the world. I want to be holy because he is holy. I don't want to just be holy because the church is holy. I want to be a child of God. (laughs) Hallelujah. And so he said, if the kingdom is divided, if Satan is divided... Then then he can't exist, and if a kingdom is divided, then it falls apart And then he breaks it down, and this is where I really want to preach to you for a few minutes today He says, and if a house be divided against itself Think about it It cannot stand, so we've got the world view, we've got the kingdom view And now we've got my view Some of us out here trying to fix the kingdom And our house is divided You're you're, you're trying to to put together a kingdom and your house is divided Some time ago, I was in a mall walking around And it must have been around the holiday times Because they had kiosks sitting everywhere, you know, people selling everything And uh, they had this custom license plate maker And uh, Brother Gray, they had this uh, license plate that said Purdue on one side and IU on the other And it said a house divided I thought, that's not divided, that's heresy. And in all sincerity, I looked at that and I thought, a house divided. You know what's true is that some people really do allow their house to be divided over trivial things. I'm not trying to get deep and philosophical here. I'm just saying, I understand the joke, I get the joke. But what it triggered in my mind is what divides our house sometimes. Is it really worth it? You don't, look, you don't have to have a spouse. You can be single and have a divided house. Paul struggled with it. Because he said when I would do good. Come on, somebody preach at me now. Evil is present with me. He goes through this. Whole chapter saying when I would and I could and then I should and then I did and I tried and it didn't work and so I got mad and then I said what I should have and I could have. You've read that chapter. By the time you get done, you're like, I'm so confused. I just want to live for God. I think that's why it's in there. So I can talk to you a little bit about your house being divided between you and your spouse. I can talk to you about that. But what I really, really want to do is get your eyes off of whoever else lives with you. And I want to talk to you about your house. Who you are. I'm talking about that divided house that cannot stand. There is nobody in this world that can keep you from doing the right thing when you want to do the right thing. But what keeps us from doing the right thing is that divided house. It's that conversation that we have in our own heart that says, is it really worth it? And all these people out here that we're trying to fix and get them convinced, they're waiting on us to actually get convinced that we really believe what we say we believe. Because when they sit down with us and they ask us why we live different, we say, well, that's, just, that's what the church teaches they're not convinced. <laughs> you really believe you've got to be born again of water and spirit? Well, that's what we teach. Sorry. Your house is divided. This, this crazy foolishness I was teaching a couple weeks ago. All this light doctrine junk floating around. As long as you just walk in the light, you know, then you're going to be saved. Uh, I can't find that. But here's the deal. In in Romans chapter 1, the apostle comes on really hard and heavy. And he talks about all the evil deeds that they're doing, the fornication and the adultery and the man, the lasciviousness. It's really, really bad. And then he gets to the end of Romans 1. Go look at it when you get home. Don't do it right now because I want you to help me preach. He gets to the end of Romans 1 and he says to them, he said, but you that take pleasure in their evil deeds will have a worse reward than the one who did the actual act. Folks, we've got to get to the place that we cannot find a place of mercy in our hearts for things that are not righteous. It is absolutely possible to love people And despise what has made them what they are. We cannot afford to coddle people that are in love with this present world. And make them feel like everything is going to be alright. Is this too strong for Sunday morning? Have I walked out of the book yet? So... I'm I'm in fast forward Paul writes to Timothy And he says to him He says come Hurry bring my cloak Bring my books He says I need you to make A a, a rapid trip I need you to get here He said because uh, Demas Hath forsaken me Now I, I know some of you Can preach this to me right now Why did Demas leave? He loved this present world And he goes to Was it Thessalonica, I believe he went to, Ephesus, Thessalonica, that Demas leaves and he goes to. And so Paul says it like this. He said, I need you to get here because Demas hath forsaken me. He loved this present world. And then studying that one day, the Lord spoke to me and he asked me this question. It was not a chide. It was like the quickening in the spirit, the way God deals with me. And he said, I wonder if Demas would even feel uncomfortable enough to leave in the modern church. Because we have created a subculture that causes Demas to feel so comfortable in his love for this present world. Why would he leave Paul if Paul would have just put his arm around him and said, hey, Bub, don't worry about it. Jesus loves you just like you are. There was something that was being taught in the life of Demas by the Apostle Paul that said, if that's the kind of life I want to live, I can't do it here. There was a divided house and Paul identified the house. And at some point, at some juncture, we know the conversation happened because of the evidence that Paul looked at Demas and said, son, you've got a divided house. And the divided house cannot stand. So if you're going to love this present world, I'm not going to let your divided house divide the church. And so Demas said, if this is what I'm going to do, I'm going to have to remove myself from this kingdom and pursue after the kingdom of the world. Hear this preacher when I tell you this morning that you have not made an enemy when you find a preacher that will preach you the truth and will tell you that God wants to do a work in your life and wants to change you. I thank God for mercy, but mercy is what brought me here and his grace is what saves me. Divided house So You cannot have a divided house And the house stand Now God's been dealing with me I preached this all night long last night I woke up about 2.30 this morning In a deep sweat I was preaching My t-shirt was soaking wet I was preaching this and God began to deal with me in The wee hours of the morning Somebody walking in this house this morning Is living in a divided house. And that your struggle is not what the church teaches. Your struggle is not what the word of God says. Your struggle is not the pastor. Your struggle is a divided house that you're living in. And you have let other people's opinion of your relationship with God divide your house. And I'm trying to help somebody right here. Let me reiterate what I said just a few moments ago. There is nobody in this world that can keep you from doing the right thing if you really want to do the right thing. But you cannot allow the opinions of others on the outside of your house looking in your window saying, Why would you do that? God don't expect that of you. And then you start questioning and your house gets divided. I had a conversation with a young man one time that I was a close friend with and it was very obvious he wasn't going to live for God. And uh, that, that, that was kind of going to be the deal. And he would call me and want me to go hang out and go places with him. And I just couldn't afford to do that. So he came one night. It was kind of funny. He came one night on prayer meeting night to the church of all places. How do you think he knew where to find me? Because he knew where I'd be. And he came to the office and he was like, man, I dis- this, that, and the other. And this is what I'm going to do. In this." And I said, look, let me draw a line for you. I said, my love for you doesn't change. If I'm your friend, I'm your friend. I'm loyal to a fault. I'm going to be your friend. I said, but I refuse to come to where you are. If we're going to have a tight-knit relationship, it's going to be because you come to where I am, and it's not because I'm the boss. It's because I'm made up in my mind that I'm going to serve the Lord. You are not making a mistake by telling people that are pulling you back that if you want to be a part of my life, this is where I'm going to be. I'm going to be in the house of God. I'm going to love God with all my heart, soul, mind. No, no, no. We're not playing the super spiritual game. We're letting the enemy know, I've drawn the line and I refuse to move. I'm going to love God. I'll take my chances. I would rather you be mad at me than God be mad at me. You can say that with a sweet spirit You can say that with kindness And not be an arrogant jerk Because if you do that you just destroyed your testimony But I think what the Lord's waiting on some of us to do Is to just reach over and grab this part of our house And grab this part of our house And say look I don't care what this costs me right now I'm so hungry for God I want him to heal my house And we pull that house together And we say Lord Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5 I'm going to love you with all my heart All my soul, all my mind, all my strength, and everything I've got. And now all my attention is off what's trying to divide me and on everything that's trying to multiply me. Y'all want to do some Book of Acts math? Anybody in here hate math? Oh, my Lord. I knew they were jacked up in school when they told me pi r square. I said, you're a liar, pi r round. I knew, I knew I was smarter than that teacher in that moment. Huh, Pi or square. I ain't never ate a square pie. So in the book of Acts, the second chapter, you're welcome. That was for you, Brother Miller. In Acts, the second chapter, and I'm hurrying. It said that the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Am I in the book? Have you read it? Okay. And then, we come to Acts chapter 5. God is adding for five chapters. We come to Acts chapter 5, and Ananias and Sapphira, Peter told them, they lied to the Holy Ghost. I always thought that was interesting, because they actually lied to Peter, but Peter said, you lied to the Holy Ghost. And so, they'd sold a piece of property, and they apparently wanted to keep hold of something. They got their story together, and they came before him individually, one by one. And the Lord, for the first time in the history of the church, subtracts. Now listen, I, I don't want to hurt your brain here. This is a math lesson, okay? He had been multiplying the church. But Ananias and Sapphira had a divided house, so it was causing division. So God had to bring subtraction. And after Acts 5, the scripture said that the word of God multiplied. Watch this. He adds to the church, finds the division, subtracts from the church. And then he's able to multiply. Oh, that's counterproductive, Pastor. No, it's not counterproductive. We've got to get to the place that when God is trying to subtract something from us that we quit trying to hold on to it. I just think that's awful. I think that's awful that God did that to them, Pastor. He should have gave them a chance. I I don't think we quite get God. I told somebody several years ago, In a very private conversation that's about to become very public. I said, you know, I really believe that if if we had an Acts 5 Ananias and Sapphira experience in the modern church against some folks that straighten up. Did I say that on Sunday morning? You read that for yourself. It said that walked in and you could see the footprints where they just dragged the other one out. I'm not saying that's what I want. understand that. I'm saying we've got a misconception of Almighty God that we gotta get, we got to get this fixed because it's dividing our house. And when the Lord is trying to get something out of my spirit and I've got this bitterness that I've got every right to hold on to because they did me wrong, but it's dividing my house. And the Holy Ghost is saying, let me just, sub, let me just subtract that from you because if you'll let me subtract that from you, then I can multiply you, but I'm not going to multiply something that has division in it. Oh, my, my, my. Y'all ready to roll? Ready to go? I'm about done. So why is it that we fight God when he's trying to subtract from us what's dividing our house? Because if you look at the context of the chapter, apparently it was something that Ananias and Sapphira loved more than they loved the kingdom of God. You look at it and call it property, but this is the first, the first Vision in the New Testament church Of idolatry being dealt with in the house of God It wasn't something that sat on the wall It was something that they loved in their heart And they said that money means more to me Than anything else that God is trying to do in my life And idolatry is sought for the first time It is handled in the New Testament church Because God was trying to subtract something from them And they said no, no, no We'll stay divided. I don't ever want to fight God from what he's trying to subtract from me. Because if he's trying to subtract it from me, that means it's trying to subtract from me. It's draining my energy. It's draining my life. It's dra- you only have so much emotion that, that you in a reservoir of emotion that you can spend. So let him take it. So now we go to Joshua in closing Joshua brings us to A place that I felt like Somewhere in the middle of the night The Lord was going to bring us to this day And he says to us In Joshua chapter 24 that The Lord has moved deeply on Joshua He's kind of at the end of his reign And he brings him back to the mountain That he had talked to them and dealt with them the first time He brings him back right before His death and he says to them, on this day, he says, you need to make a decision today. Whether you're going to serve the gods on the other side of the floods. What's he talking about? Idolatry. How, what's it going to take for us to know he's jealous? He said, you, you, you want those gods or do you want me? And then he takes away their time. And he says, you can't decide this tomorrow. I had to slow this down and get right here where I'm at right now. Because if I would have preached this and spit this to the fifth row, somebody would have clapped your way through what I'm getting ready to say to you. But Joshua stands up and he says, look, on one mountain, we, we, we've got role play going on here. We've got cursings and we've got blessings. He says, so you're going to have to choose. You want blessing, you want cursing. He said, do you want idolatry or do you want the living God? And so they're all standing there looking at him like, oh, what are we going to do, pastor? He says, here, now I'm throwing the ball in your court. Choose you this day. Whom you will serve. And watch this statement, folks. Oh, my God. But as for... Me and I I I don't believe that Joshua turned around to all his uncles and cousins and children and said, As for me and no. I believe that Joshua stood there that day and said, As for me and my house. For me. I can't decide for any of you. I'm at the end of my race. My race is just about run. He said, I'm I'm finished, but I'm calling you right now to the valley of decision. And right now, this day, you're going to decide. You go ahead and talk it over with your wife, talk it over with your kids, whoever you want to talk to. But at the end of the day, what I want to know is, is your house divided? As for me, what are you saying, Pastor? Okay, I'm going to say it the third time today. Because this is my whole sermon. I'm not saying this so that I can be repetitive. This is my sermon. If you want to live for God, you will. I know, I know that's not real deep, and I didn't say it in Hebrew or Greek. I'm talking to you just in country boy slang. If you want it, you'll get it. If you want to please God, you're going to please God. Well, I just mean you don't know what I've been going through. No, no. Take all of that aside. If you want to make it to heaven, it will be because you got intentional about making it to heaven. I don't care what they say on TV or what they say on the radio. Nobody is going to accidentally slide in through the pearly gates. If you're going to make it, it's going to be because you were intentional about knowing God. You were intentional about loving God. You were intentional about being faithful. You were intentional about salvation. You were born again of water and of the Spirit. Let's stand together. Oh, my, mind. I wish I had something deep for you today to throw you off in the deep end just tell you to swim but i came to preach something so simple yet it's so profound today the only thing that keeps us from loving god with all our heart, soul, mind and strength is our heart, soul, mind and strength oh, but my temptation level pastor i'm so tempted well let's all take off our spiritual mask today and just be real is there a person in the room that would be brave enough to raise your hand and say, nothing tempts me? Anybody? No. All you spiritual folks, go ahead and raise your hand if you want to. You're looking at a man. Maybe I'm being too transparent here right now. I don't know. But you're looking at a man who does my best to live for God. I pray. I fast. I read the word of God. And you walk outside, and boy, it'll smack you right in the face. You will spend the rest of your life telling, not the, not the devil, your flesh, no. You're going to spend the rest of your life telling your flesh, no, if you want to live for God. Because the division in your house comes from flesh and spirit. Spirit. It's the corrupted flesh man that says, this is what I want that makes me happy. It's my spirit man that says, this is what makes God happy. And this is what I'm going to do. Oh, my word. How could I ever be so weak as to say that my flesh was weak? Well, don't, don't get too spiritual on me right here. Because the Messiah, Jesus, the word made flesh, says, oh, the spirit is willing. But the flesh is weak. But into thy hands. I commit my spirit. Because this isn't about my flesh. He looked into the cup and he said. If it would be possible. Let the cup pass. I don't want to go through it. But when he said. It is finished. He never had to fight his flesh again. Because he had conquered what tried to conquer him for 33 years. Brothers and sisters, under the unction of the Holy Ghost right now so strong. I want to tell you that the reason I live the way I live is because someday they're going to lay me down and I'm going to be able to open my mouth and say, Brother Kevin, it is finished. And on that day, I'm going to lay down my fleshly burdens. I'm going to lay down my troubles. I'm going to lay down my temptation. But I cannot go out from here with a divided house. I want it to be on that day when I give up the ghost and I finish my race, that I can say I gave God my very best. Pastor, you weren't born into the family I was You weren't treated the way I was God bless your heart My heart breaks for you I mean that sincerely I told someone in this church some time ago I said, we can help each other I want to help you be a better child of God And you can help me be a better pastor I want to love people and be sensitive to people That's not the point what I'm saying to you is that at the foot of the cross, it's all common ground. Listen, it don't matter to God if you even know who your earthly dad is. Oh, Jesus. He's calling you to the cross today. He said, just let me be your father. Let my mercy cover you today. God is not denying that you've been through hurt and brokenness and pain you've been betrayed but if you look back over your life you're going to find out even though you didn't realize it at the time he was there some of you right now can begin to think and look back over your life and you're going to realize that God absolutely preserved you for today for right now he preserved you he kept you for this hour right now the finest hour of your life is here right now God preserved you should have been dead should have been in prison whatever your testimony whatever it is but guess what you're not you're here you're in the house of mercy you're at the table of bread come and dine the master calleth today come and dine if you're willing today to reach up to where he is he'll reach down to where you are He'll reach further down than you could ever reach up. Would you reach to Him right now, church? Come on, would you reach to Him right now? Pastor, I've let God down the last few days. I've done some silly stuff. Listen, just reach out for Him this morning. It's not about your perfection. It's about His mercy and His kindness and His grace. It's extended to you right now.